This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, welcome back. On today's episode, we are going to cover um, a couple of really interesting animal-related uh, airport issues. Number one, a poor brown bear got struck by a 737. Um, so we'll talk about that. Wasps in Australia have been actually wreaking havoc also on 737s in their pedo tubes. And we'll also talk about a lightning strike uh, that prompted a New Zealand air um, aircraft to divert. So, you know, keeping up with some recent uh, lightning strike news. In our engineering segment, we're going to chat about some interesting aerodynamics on uh, on props and uh, some aerodynamic stuff there. We're going to talk about an interesting new bell rotor, uh, tail rotor concept. And lastly, in our, our EVTOL segment, uh, I know Alan has some pretty interesting thoughts on Uber Elevate and just the the scope and the, uh, the future of their business because there's a lot of stuff that seems very nebulous and it's starting to sound a little bit like maybe some uh as scott galloway the business um professor would say uh, yoga babble so alan let's first talk about this uh bear strike so uh, that seems a really hard how did the bear get on the runway but also just really sad bears are super cool yeah well it's up in alaska and they had a brown bear and her and her cub crossing the runway as, as the 737 was landing and there's really not much to do about it. And it, it, it acted like the pilot didn't even see it, obviously, or would have gone around. And it's an occasion you see things about aircraft striking deer, right? So a deer is a slightly taller animal, tends to be, and aircraft hit those too. It's, it, there's a lot of, um, in today's world, there's a lot of periphery fences around airports because of 9-11. So there's not as much wildlife walking around on runways, but still wildlife gets in. And and if the bear's going from point A to point B and the runway's in the way, they're going to walk across it. And in this particular case, it just hit the inlet on the engine and dented the the inlet. And obviously it it killed the bear, which is just a bad situation. So I'm sure everybody just feels horrible about the whole thing that I'm sure passengers saw it. It just doesn't... This is nothing yeah, good about guy. it, right? Yeah, it's like, well, well what well, are you going to do? Well, they said the cub was un- unharmed. Yeah, not a poor guy, but poor gal. Mama bear. Yeah. That's terrible. I, I've seen cattle on runways. That happened here locally one time. Uh, there was a cow or cattle. Cattle had gotten loose, and uh, the, our local airport didn't have a, a surrounding periphery fence at the time. So there's cattle on the runway. Th- thank goodness an aircraft wasn't trying to land because that would have been a real mess but you just got to be aware of that and and runways are not like any different than a road and you see deer on the road there's deer on runway and and in alaska there's bear on the runway and canadian geese right we all know about the airplane landing in the river right so aircraft are around wildlife a lot more than you think if you actually go look at the number of interactions between aircraft running into some animal on the runway it's it's a lot it's a lot more than you think it would be so everybody's got to keep their eyes open. I think Alaska is one of those places where you probably have to do a lot more because it's just a lot 
more wilderness there than you'd say in Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. Well, and looking at this Alaska Airliners, obviously a 737 is not that big of an aircraft, but it only mm. seems like so many parts are close enough. Like I was looking, I'm like, what did the, what hit this bear? Obviously, you said it hit the uh, you know the the lip of the engine, but yeah. it could only hit what the the wheels and and that. That's the only. I mean, it couldn't possibly be tall enough to hit the nose. No. So, oh gosh, no. I hope not. It's yeah, a maybe bear. maybe a moose. A moose could. <laughs> oh, a moose would, would do be, a, a lot of damage. A, yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that would that would do a lot of damage. Uh, and I bet you, if you go back and look at, the, at flights in Alaska, somebody's probably hit a moose. It's just just one of those things that you just can't control unless you really have a good perimeter security and a fence where they can't hop over or crawl underneath. And if they can, they're going to be out there. It's hard. Yeah. Well, so the, the next article I'd like to discuss is about Australian wasps. So these mud dauber wasps have apparently been blocking a lot of pedo tubes. And that seems much more difficult. Like for me, I'm kind of like, well, you know what? Just make a better perimeter fence for all the money we spend on security. <laughs> that seems relatively controllable to keep yeah. bears and like bears are not small. No, nope. uh, but these wasps, and obviously I understand birds are just you know you can't you can't control the airspace from birds, but <laughs> you know these little wasps are plugging all these tubes, and why is that such a big problem? Well, the the pedo tubes tell you your airspeed, and it's always a, a a problem wherever there's wasps or hornets that like to make nests, especially the mud daubers, because they make their nests out of mud, so they're actually bringing in dirt with them to create a, a home. And if you've been around a wasp nest or a hornet's nest, those little honeycomb slots that they like to live in. So it, it gets really difficult if they see a nice little opening or a hole, like if you have one on the edge of your roof of your house, there's always wasps in there. Like they, they'll find those little cracks and crevices to go make a home in. And pedo tubes are, can be the right size to make a home inside of. And especially on like on a 737, they're, the pedo probes aren't really close to the ground, so you can't put your eyeballs on a look inside of them. On a smaller, uh, like a Bonanza or a Cessna 182 or something of that sort, a smaller aircraft, a personal aircraft, you look inside those pedo tubes to see if there's critters crawling inside, and you have them covered when you're not flying the aircraft to keep the critters out. Uh, but on a 737 that sits out overnight in Australia, you really can't tell. And so you, you may have hornets and wasps crawling up inside there and trying to make a home and if you don't know what your airspeed is that's a big problem right because aircraft you really need to know what your airspeed is to fly the airplane properly and if it's got some sort of blockage in it you're, you got a world of hurt now the article was really interesting because it was like a study done over a number of years about yeah. the, the, that that impact and th was it like more than 50 percent of the cases were on 737s like they don't like mm -hmm. the airbus <laughs> so they don't yeah, like the 56 percent of them were on the boeing 737 yeah that's a crazy and the number a, and then the a330 after that was about 20 percent of them but yeah it's just got to be the just the right diameter like you said like obviously they're not going to nest in something that's huge when they're you know the size of a finger right so they just uh really like the 737 tubes but would you would you figure that if you're designing those pedo tubes that you would these take that piece of information back and then do something that would prevent that because it's a serious it's a serious thing not knowing your speed is a big deal the whole aoa uh issue with the 737 and mcas system uh right it's, it's a sensor problem well you yeah. got insects causing sensor problems that have to do with airspeed those are big problems and you know one of the 
things that has hurt uh, aircraft over time is when they do put those red sleeves. I don't know if you've ever seen these things. They say remove before flight. It's got a little tag hanging off it. And they, they slide mm-hmm. it over the pedo probe. You're supposed to move it for People forget to take those off uh, and have had accidents, even though they're red and they're dangling out there and they're noticeable. Well, you're not ever going to notice a hornet's nest up in a pedo probe on a 737 until it's too yeah. late, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Scary. Yeah, it just, just goes back to uh, what we talked about in multiple shows before, just that checklist. Like, you just mm. got to go through all, like, look inside every pedo tube or yeah. pull off the red the red covers, like you said. Just, yeah, like, like, little things like that are easy to get missed if you just don't check off every item in your list. Oh, yeah. And uh, Australia is just a tough place already, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, like, the- spiders the size of, you know, just, like, stalking you in the night. It's terrifying, all the creatures in Australia. Oh, yeah. Don't they have the highest number of poisonous creatures, uh, or at least creatures that can that kill sounds, you? That right? sounds Isn't right, Australia? yeah. Right, mm-hmm. so just the... the <laughs> you got to be a hardy Freddy Krueger lives there, too, and Jason, <laughs> I think, now vacations there. Oh, my yeah, gosh, so. yeah. Well, it's all just one of those creatures. Right, uh, it's just one of those things about Australia. Like, man, they're, they're pretty tough down there, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, But at the same token, I think... We should be taking some of that data back, uh, especially if you're designing pedo probes and making them a little more insect uh, resistant would be a good good thing to go do. Yeah. So lightning strike uh, prompted a New Zealand Air uh, ATR-72. So this is from simply simpleflying.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a pretty like in-depth article just talking about lightning, lightning strikes in general, not just like yeah. quickly reporting this one incident. But um, I mean, a bunch of stuff out of, out of uh, obviously that part of the world. Mm. Is New Zealand heavy lightning area, or I mean, what what about this article sticks out to you? Well, I think Australia and New Zealand are prone to some decent number of lightning strikes, and and it's probably just the way that they where they're flying to. Uh, they're running across storms quite a bit, and they have a lot of lightning strikes there. You read about strikes in New Zealand and Australia quite often in the press. I see them all the time, or where you know in the United States and in Europe they're having roughly the same number of strikes, or that you'd think that they would, but maybe the strikes are just more severe, or they're just more aware of them in in the southern hemisphere, something of the sort, because you see a lot of uh, reported reported lightning strikes on aircraft, and the the the, the summary is pretty much the same for most of those reports, and which is very good because the United States, I think, reporting is garbage for the most part if it's just a general reporter but in australia and in new zealand they have a description that aircraft are designed to take lightning strikes and lightning strikes occur roughly once a year to most transport category aircraft and everybody is safe there's a faraday cage on the airplane all that stuff is true (laughs) so it's it's a really good reporting that they have that we just don't seem to have in the united states but i think it's very it's it's fascinating to read a an article that's sort of general public general purpose article that's has correct information in it so it's it's nice to see it and and they are obviously the airlines in new zealand and australia are very cognizant of of inspection criteria and repairs that have to happen after having a lightning strike so they seem to be doing all the right things which is really really good to see all right so in our engineering segment today first up on the docket is uh, some interesting wind tunnel technology have been testing some new propellers. So, um, Alan, why don't you start us off here? So what did you notice about this article from aerospacetestinginternational.com? Well, you don't think about testing propellers anymore. That <laughs> basically since after World War II, there hasn't been a lot of 
propeller technology, so to speak. Obviously, they're making them out of composite materials, and they seem to get more aerodynamically shaped over time because we have the computational power to go do it. But to actually put some really uh, a good amount of effort into propeller shapes to reduce uh, noise, right? Propeller noise is a big deal. Uh, and I, I thought, well, maybe the the propeller industry is going to get it revitalized in some sense. All the EVTOLs are all propeller driven, and there's a lot of propellers on each one of those aircraft. So maybe there is a, a new frontier in propellers, and it's good to see at least the, that sort of fundamental research going back in. Because as you've seen, Dan, a lot of the 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 articles about the EV2Ls is about noise. Yeah, it's a big issue. Yeah, because these are getting closer and closer to cities and actually doing the air taxi job, it's got to be quieter. I mean, has to think be. about how obnoxious it is to be anywhere near a helicopter. I mean, it's, it's just got to be really quiet. Right. I think it was Whisk. I was watching the video from Whisk the other day where they were comparing their aircraft to a helicopter. And they had a helicopter a certain distance away and how much how much noise it was. And then their aircraft comparable. Obviously, there's a huge difference between the two. A helicopter is just plain all noisy. Uh, but the electric aircraft is is a greatly reduced noise just because of the, the way that the propellers are set up in the electric motor. But if they can actually lower that down even more, don't you think there's more applications in closer to the city? Like Los, I think Los Angeles is one of those places they just don't like helicopters, and New York City doesn't really care for them all that much either. But if they're quiet, who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it should open up those markets in which they otherwise may not be able to get into. So uh, at least you remember reading the... the uh, article from Beta Technologies on their aircraft, where they were making their own propellers, right? That's one of the things they did to save money early on. I think they were making their own propellers. And making a propeller is not, a basic fundamental propeller is not necessarily rocket science, but mm-hmm. making it quiet is. It is a lot of science involved in it. And I kind of wonder, you know, at what point are they going to start, everybody's going to really start to switch over to these much quiet propellers, even in an electric aircraft, is it going to be driven to make it as quiet as possible and the if the technology is there and we're capable of making it which we clearly are then you, you almost wonder on the regulation side you're going to see the regulations push them to be quiet which will force them into this, some of these new propeller designs could happen it yeah. really could happen and so i mean why do we need more actual wind tunnels and, and these anechoic chambers and stuff like that why can't we do it all um you know digitally now are we still just not you, there yet? Uh, you can, you can, uh, but there's it's complicated. <laughs> Anytime you, it's just like on our, on our winter podcast for uptime. The, the complexities of a propeller falling into the wake of the previous propeller causes difficulty. And you got this, uh, you, it, the propellers create their own little environment for airflow. So that can be really tricky. And the noise coming off of the propellers can be tricky. It's a little hard to predict. And that's why they're still in one tunnels doing some of those measurements because computationally, you're really learning from the experimental data, empirical data, and then putting it into the computer to try to represent that because it's just, it's just so complicated. But I, I think with the... Well, we're seeing it on the wind turbine side. So on the wind turbine side, you're starting to see some more of that information come in and they're looking at the wakes on the previous blade and how it influences the blade behind it. Well, wind turbines aren't moving nearly as fast as propellers on an aircraft. So the complexity just goes way, way, way up on an aircraft because of the speeds. So it's just difficult. It's really difficult, as you can well imagine. So Bell is working on an electrically distributed anti-torque tail rotor that they think can potentially 
re replace traditional ones. Um, Alan, looking at this technology, is does it seem feasible that they can actually do that? Yeah, I, I think we're close to doing that. Now, the, the Bell design had four separate little fans with mm -hmm. electric motors driving that. So they, you know, the efficiency is like, it's not quite there, it seems like. But simplicity-wise, an electric motor is, well, I mean, and maybe this is related to failure modes. If I had one big motor and that dies, then I don't, I can't keep yeah. my helicopter from spinning, right? It's an anti-rotation device, anti-torque device. So I have trouble. So I'm breaking it into four. If one of them goes away, I still have enough to get home with. And maybe that's the thought behind it. So there, maybe there's some system safety aspects in which came up with that particular design, but it's slick, right? Because on a, fun, a, a baseline helicopter design, you have the main rotor and then you have a drive shaft that goes to the back end of, uh, to the tail rotor to drive the tail rotor. So you got this big sort of transmission system mm -hmm. and these tubes, drive shafts that are in there to do all that. If you can take all that weight out, and have an electric motor do the same thing, then you save a bunch of weight and complexity and get the same result. Uh, so yeah, it makes a ton of sense to do. And years ago, I think it was Bell McDonald uh, had the, had instead of a tail rotor, they had a, basically the exhaust blowing out and a sort of a fan-like feature uh, or exhaust port sort of, that was the anti-rotation tail rotor replacement, which is pretty cool. So it's like a jet powered, tail rotors set up and that was complicated because you're using hot air and they had this, this rotating mechanism which was complicated uh so that i haven't really seen that i remember that doing flight tests with that but i haven't really seen it in, in production anywhere i haven't seen that aircraft anywhere but this electric tail rotor thing that's it's got to be a slam dunk right like come on it's 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 just making life so much easier taking a bunch of weight out of the complexity out of the out of the helicopter yeah, why not, right? Why not do it? Well, and why would it have taken this long? I guess is kind of how it feels to me as a, you know, not a rotocraft <laughs> expert by any means. But like, helicopters have been around for a long time. True. Like this doesn't seem like a a, a revolutionary idea. Like, why did it take so long? Uh, on the motor, I think it's related to the motor side. We're seeing that with all the uh, electric, uh, you, you, you got to get to the point of having a very compact, high energy density motor because you don't want to add a bunch of dead weight. And motors are, in terms of the, what they're constructed of, they're mostly copper, right? Copper is a heavy material, so they kind of be heavy. So you can't get away from that so much. You can just try to make it denser and try to reduce other stuff. Uh, so motors over time have gotten definitely more compact. There's a lot more electronics to control them and to make them more uh, controllable speed-wise and for a lot of different things. So it's sort of part electronics, part motor design, and getting it where you can get it compact enough, you can sh shove in a tail rotor. I think that's what it has been. Conceptually, making an electric motor and putting a propeller on it are pretty straightforward things to do, right? Uh, but yeah. I think it's just a, this is uh, probably mostly a result, as you can well imagine, of all the automotive electric motors that are going on, that just the technology has gotten better for that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it's, the cost has come down, so it may makes it, makes, make it possible now. So, uh, and a lot of times the aircraft market leads the automotive market, and I think in this particular case, automotive market is leading the aircraft market. All right, for our final segment today, we're going to talk about Uber Elevate uh, and Uber Air. 
So they've released a 19-page uh, PDF sort of outlining their plans for the future, lists a lot of authors and contributors, and um, it's interesting for sure. But Alan, this to you uh, smells a little fishy. Is that how you would uh, maybe characterize it? Well, in aircraft, in aircraft, it's sort of this, it's the new frontier. You get a lot of that talk. Uh, and rah, rah, rah stuff, yeah. Well, we're yeah. Gonna change like, we're going to change the world. The way everything's, yeah. Right, and and aircraft still have that allure of being the, the coolest, neatest thing. And it's, it's just like SpaceX, right? It's the same sort of thing, but, you know, SpaceX is actually doing it. And mm-hmm. uh, Uber Elevate is in a different mode where they're not really designing the aircraft at all. They have, they're sort of supporting the aircraft companies to develop different varieties of these things. It's trying to create a marketplace where these aircraft are developed in. But there's not so much activity going on there as I thought there would be. And I, I want to read one of the paragraphs in that presentation they put out the other day because I think it was just fascinating because I couldn't discern what they were even talking about. It says, Uber Air is just one part of Uber's vision for a holistically sustainable transportation future that serves cities around the world. Our objective at Uber Elevate is to build long-term engagements across the UAM ecosystem steered by shared values and organized around accountability and continuous communication to inform and support the creation of sustainable UAM networks. Working closely with communities and local governments is particularly important to ensuring that the benefits of UAM has to offer are fully and equitably achieved. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that <laughs> means. And I'm a person that's been in aerospace a long time, and I've seen a lot of things coming in and out of aerospace and a lot of sort of shaky things come in and out, and that makes no sense to me. What are they even talking about? Are they talking about having airports? Is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about equitably yeah. achieved what? How about this? If you want to make an aircraft as a as a taxi, an air taxi, how about building an air taxi? Let's do that first. Let's get the aircraft built first before we start changing the world. Because the problem has been for the last 40 years is we haven't been able to build the aircraft to change the world. 737-8 is not changing the world. It isn't. Right, the Airbus A380 didn't change the world, didn't. Where have we had that that world-changing aircraft in the last fifty, maybe fifty-plus years? We just haven't, especially on the small small end. The Cessna, the Cessna aircraft that you know, the, the single-engine piston airplane that's been around since the 1950s. It hasn't yeah. really changed all that much. The Bonanzas in the 50s or late 40s, early 50s. So those aircraft are 50, 60, 70 years old. We really haven't changed anything at that fundamental level. The, you know, the, the latest, I would say the latest um, achievement has been like the Cirrus SR-20, SR-22, and some of the Diamond aircraft. They've been up in, the, in that forefront just because they're composite, not metallic airplanes. But what are we doing as an industry if if we're not focused on building that aircraft because none of this happens without having an aircraft that's even viable and a company that can make them and make some money off of them. None of this will happen. All, all the advanced, I can fly from Los Angeles to San Francisco or whatever they want to do will never happen without not having an aircraft that can actually accomplish it. So it doesn't, am I missing something here, Dan? Is there, is there more to this that, that should be connecting? Because it seems like, a lot of glossy photos and fancy pictures of important people, but 
that doesn't build airplanes. Yeah, it's a very buzzwordy PDF. Like there's there's one page that says using data analysis to target and inform initial community outreach. And they're basically talking about how they're, you know, they're making sophisticated modeling tools that can help us identify and evaluate different configurations and, mm. and they're trying to predict demand and humans aren't that good at predicting demand. And I don't know how you predict demand for air taxis. Like you get the first one, like we can't even predict how many people are going to take the coronavirus vaccine. We have like no idea. <laughs> no idea. I mean, and then True. to say like, how fast are we going to adopt these, these brand new, it just seems like there's just a lot of pie in the sky stuff here where, like you said, they're kind of putting the car before the horse where we don't know if you, we just genuinely don't know if there really is a market for this air taxi stuff. We just don't know. You don't know. I, does it, does it have that Tesla feel to it? But Tesla was a totally different thing. And that says that Tesla was going to build the car regardless, whether they could make it as a company or not was a result of building the car. That's the first yeah. step. Whether there's an eco infrastructure for electric vehicles. Well, they kind of come along with the car, but the car is the thing. That's, that's the starting point. If the car is no good, the rest yeah. of it doesn't, does not matter. Right. And I, I think that's probably the point we're missing is you got to get to the car. Now, the, the thing about watching that EVTO industry develop is there's going to be winners and losers here. And I was doing a little more research and I, I'm keeping tabs on how the companies are doing. And you see the engineers kind of float around and watch who's going where, uh, you know, there, 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 there's one part of this, I think it's gonna be very hard to beat in terms of a company. And I think, uh, the, the heavy side by Kitty Hawk slash whisk, uh, has this feature. And so does Joby, which is, uh, they basically tilt the, the motor up for vertical flight and they, they mechanically bring it back down for forward flight. That feature by itself, is going to set those companies apart because it's the most efficient, probably the most efficient design they can ever have. You want to get to forward flight as fast as you can. And, and aircraft that have propellers that are just stationary, like they're just for vertical lift and you shut them off for forward flight is dead weight. Yeah. Uh, it, it's either got to help lift the aircraft or we don't need it. Uh, but I think those two companies really have an advantage. Now, the heavy side, that's the worst possible name for an aircraft. And I understand where it comes from. I, I get all that. But you never name an aircraft heavy side. <laughs> so, yeah it's like yeah you don't call your girlfriend fat you know you just don't do any of that stuff yeah you don't do that stuff right it's, it's gonna be light and nimble that's what the whole aircraft industry is about but I, I will say this you know the the uber elevate conception is i think the, and then the argument is an air taxi that, that's all great because i think here's the thing about that smaller aircraft market that is just so frustrating and i listen to a lot of different aircraft podcasts and the ones that are sort of pilot specific, a lot of the aircraft podcast talks about uh, crashes, a small aircraft. So they're just reliving the crash, reliving the crash, reliving the crash. And it just over and over. And if you listen to it enough, it's just like listening to an obituary. It's all that it is and at some level. And I understand why they're doing it because they're trying to make everybody else aware, like, don't do this. Right? But at some point, we have to have technology that gets us out of the don't do this, where the pilot can't do that. The pilot can't fly into the side of a mountain. The pilot can't fall asleep because it doesn't matter because the aircraft will take over and get you where you want to go. I think from an industry standpoint, we need to stop having the crashes, which are mostly pilot related, vast majority are pilot related, not mechanical issues. So is there a place for the EVTOL market to make aircraft safer? 
no doubt so much safer it's going to be so much safer to fly one of those than it would be to fly a Cessna 182 just because the technology is better and the, and the safety features are better but uh, is Uber Elevate going to do it probably maybe or is someone like Joby going to do it yeah I, I think they got a pretty good pathway to success well it also just seems from my point of view that the first thing would be like let's build a plane that has a legit commercial market like we mm-hmm. talked about in, in our wind turbine podcast you know carting people from you know, the port over to an offshore site to an oil rig. Like, mm, why yep. don't you just like sell a thousand, you know, aircraft to do that job and do it really well for a bunch of years. Right. And then say, Hey, this works. We've proven this out. We figured out a lot of bugs. This was sort of like our beta testing. And now maybe we should build some airports in a city and like, this can actually work. Like we figured out a lot of these bugs rather yeah. than like, let's try to start by saving the world. And uh, that seems... That's the wrong way to go. That seems it, it, crazy. It, history has proven that, right? And it, Eclipse, Eclipse Aviation popped up again because uh, years ago, back in the 2000s, they were going to build, I don't know, 3,000 aircraft. And I think they ended up building like 150, 200 and ended up going bankrupt. And that company went through bankruptcy again a week or so ago. Uh, but we've been down this pathway before. They're going to have this world-changing aircraft and they couldn't make the aircraft. So it all went... To, no one remembers it. I mean, you ask people today, what it was Eclipse Aviation? They don't have any idea what you're talking about. That wasn't that long ago, right? And you'd hate for some of these other aircraft companies kind of get in that mode of, hey, we're going to change all the world. No, no you will. You, you, if it's a great product, we'll do that. But let's get the product figured out first and get it flying and then and then get to changing the world, right? <laughs> one step at a time. Yeah. One step at a time. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of Struck. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening and please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from the show. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WGLightning. Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.